Parish, it's Sunday, January 22nd. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander with me. Another busy weekend of college basketball is at this point mostly in the books. Florida State beat Louisville Saturday and moved to 7 7 1 against top 25 RPI teams. Kentucky beat South Carolina, moved to 6 0 in the SEC. Looks like the Wildcats are going to run away with that league. Gonzaga remains undefeated. West Virginia lost again, this time at Kansas State. Uh, Duke had a crazy comeback, beat Miami. Creighton is now 0-1 with a home loss to an unranked team, minus Maurice Watson. That's uh, not good for those who thought the Blue Jays could could still be a biggies factor without their uh, starting point guard. Georgia uh, got screwed by a bad clock at Texas A&M. Bizarre ending to that game. We will get to some of that, if not most of that, in this podcast. But I wanted to start with the most interesting development of the weekend, and that's Arizona's victory at UCLA. Wildcats got Alonzo Trier back. They led the entire second half, shot 50% from the field, uh, scored 96 points against the Bruins. That's more points than Arizona had scored on anybody this entire season, Sacred Heart included. So Arizona's now 18-2 and and on a 12-game winning streak. And uh, I now have the Wildcats ranked 7th in the updated CBS Sports Top 25-1. and one. So let me uh, start with this, Norlander. Are you more impressed by what Arizona did Saturday or more disappointed in what UCLA did Saturday. What do you make of Saturday's outcome at Poly Pavilion? More impressed by Arizona. I actually do have some disappointment in UCLA because there was, and we definitely got to talk UCLA here, uh, there was definitely some real on-display lack of defense. I still stand by that I'm almost definitely going to put UCLA into the late eight. I'm not, I think we talked about it a week ago. I'm still not backing off that. But the Lack of defensive effort was certainly glaring enough, but for Arizona, and it's been, dude, it's been a whirlwind this since we last talked, GP, because the uh, the Trier stuff happened in a flash. I mean, we talked about him being eligible. We didn't think he was going to play like this. I was talking about like maybe he'll be available in February, or you know what, if he suddenly is available for the Sweet 16 the day before, he'll play. No, he's back in the right. lineup. They announced Look. it like when was it late? Was it late Friday night? It was like late Friday. Yeah, I that, did not. I was off Twitter. I, I didn't even know that was a thing until I woke up on Saturday. Me neither. I was dead asleep. I'll just yeah. I'll, I'll cop to it. I was sleeping good late Friday night. Woke up on uh, because I have a, a a sleeping disorder. I woke up in the middle of the night at some point and noted and saw you know oh, oh wow Alonzo Trier is going to play against UCLA. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's been a whirlwind, but then they go and put on an incredible performance at Poly Pavilion. Like I said, uh, jumped on UCLA early and UCLA battled back, hung around, but, but Arizona led every minute of the second half and, and put up 96 points. Trier looked really good. The team looked uplifted with him on the floor. I thought, I thought Trier would play like 15, 16 minutes and just kind of be broken. And even though he's their best all around player. I was he's clearly just been good to go. I mean, he's he's been he's in condition. He's in game shape uh, to make somewhat of a lazy comparison. His adaptation right away 
it was so much better than what we saw at Harry Giles to start off with Duke. Uh, well, for another player in fairness, Harry came off uh, back-to-back yes, surgeries, it's, it's and Alonzo Alonzo yes. was on performance enhancing. That's why I said it was. A, that's why I said it was a lazy comparison. But I thought, it, like, sometimes these dudes, like, you know, he hadn't played an actual right. D1 competition in a long time, and then you go to UCLA, you know, against one of those high-powered teams. He was ready to go. Uh, Lowry Markinen looked tremendous. Uh, T.J. Leaf, as a byproduct, did. Not Kobe Simmons, who was very boomer bust. You know, when Kobe Simmons was being recruited, there was definitely a number of coaches at high-level schools that I talked to, and this is nothing at Simmons. It's just it's such a loaded point guard class that Simmons was definitely considered a distant uh, fifth or sixth in regard to everyone else like Fultz and Smith and all those guys because Simmons could be so hot and cold. Uh, but when you're seeing, like, what he can do, like, it was it was a tremendous showing from him. He really came up big, and now Arizona – yeah, absolutely. They they're looking good, man. GP, I'm telling you, I almost took this team as as a Final Four sleeper type team back in the preseason because I remember us talking about it on the podcast. And then when we weren't sure what was going to be with, up with Trier, uh, Ray Smith goes down, and it was just a bunch of change. I, I kind of bailed on it. But this that team can definitely get to the Final Four. This isn't an overreaction. When you look at what they've done, and now they add Trier, look how good they looked at UCLA. It's definitely in the mix here, and then I'll wrap it up with this and then shoot it back to you. In regard to UCLA, it is interesting. They are now, listen, they're what, 19-2, and two, but the two losses are to Oregon and Arizona. So Oregon and Arizona only have to play each other once, okay? So it's not like those teams might uh, pick off the other and give the other two losses. They're only going to face each other once. So I put up a poll on if people think that UCLA can't win the Pac-12 anymore because I tweeted, like, UCLA's chances at a one seed and a Pac-12 title, they they might all be gone, but be gone at this point. And I know it sounds like an overreaction in the moment, but the fact of the matter is they're now two games behind in the loss column, and if they don't win the Pac-12, they're not going to get a one seed. That will not happen. And now, so their chances of doing it, they could still do it. They could tie for it. They could win the Pac-12 tournament. But it's just, it's much more of a challenge now than we ever would have thought possible a week and a half ago. This game really changes everything. And uh, 54% of people that I that you know answer my little twitter poll you know 600 people or whatnot believe that it that it won't happen that uh ucla will not even tie for the best record so gp hmm. as someone who picked ucla into their final four uh last week do you think that they will at worst uh tie for the pac-12 regular season title or do you think their chances went down the drain with this home loss i think they probably finished somewhere lower than first in the pac-12 i mean you know they've got a loss at Oregon, which is nothing to be ashamed of, but you know it's possible every single team in the Pac-12 that plays at Oregon this year is going to lose at Oregon, right? So it might just be a wash. But the home losses are going to be the one that's get you. You know, I, I think, you know, I, you know, you, it's just like if you look at the Big 12 right now. You know, like Kansas is rolling along, and you see West Virginia take a home loss, you know, middle of last week, and then back it with a road loss. Like Kansas is not going to lose at home, and so, nope. and so, like if you're gonna if you're gonna try to, you know keep pace with Kansas you cannot be taking home losses in the Big 12 and I think that's probably too true um, in the Pac-12 as well as it relates to both Oregon and Arizona like I don't think both of those teams by the time we get done with the regular season I don't think we're going to say that Oregon and Arizona both took a home loss within the league so if you UCLA take a home loss like that puts you um, it it just makes things difficult I'm not ruling it out but if you told me to take five grand and I had to make the bet UCLA at least ties for first in the Pac-12 regular season or finishes somewhere lower, I would take my five grand and, and go finish somewhere lower. To your point about the one seed, um, it's interesting because UCLA had been rolling along. And they had what some people would call maybe still the best win of any win 
that anybody's had in, yeah. in this entire season at Rupp Arena. Um, a, a really nice win, 97-92 back in, in early December. But if you start looking at their entire body of work, they're not, there's not a whole lot there. There's a lot of lopsided wins, a great win at Kentucky, but the next best win's probably a win at Utah, and the next best win's probably um, a win over Michigan? I don't know. Like, or, or, or maybe a win at Colorado. They got three top 50 Ken Palm wins. You know, a lot of the other teams in the top 10, and I don't want to say a lot, but some, Florida State, Baylor, like they got seven or eight. And so UCLA is lacking uh, quantity when it comes to quality uh, wins. And, and ultimately, if, if they, you know, uh, going forward, still lose at Arizona and maybe take another one somewhere else, it could be the thing that, that costs them a one seed. But do I still think they can get to the Final Four, if that's the question? Yes, I still think so, because they do have uh, still the number one rated uh, offense in the country. Um, you know, as it pertains to offensive efficiency, the defensive efficiency number is a problem, though, and it's um, you know something we talked about literally on the last podcast. Like, can a team with this defensive efficiency rating, you know, actually win a national championship? Has it ever happened? And I told you over the weekend I was going to look into it before, but before I even had a chance to do it, uh, Corey Alford of all people sent us a, a tweet. Uh, Corey is is uh, Steve's son. Uh, Bryce's brother. He works there uh, on the UCLA, UCLA staff, and obviously, um, you know, handles a bunch of of numbers because he sent us a, a graphic of teams with the worst um, defensive efficiency ratings that had won a national championship and that had uh, made a Final Four. Uh, first off, Corey, if you're listening, thank you for for listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Shout out to Corey Offord and shout out to Devin Downey. Uh, but what the graphic shows is that in the Ken Palm era, which dates back to 2002, um, there's never been somebody with a defense efficiency rating where UCLA's is at this moment even make the Final Four, much less win a national championship. Right now, uh, the number connected to UCLA is 102.3. That ranks 125th in the country. Now, forget about where it ranks in the country because that that doesn't matter as it relates to other years that just that just tells you where it ranks in this particular year just focus on the number 102.3 that's the adjusted defensive efficiency rating the highest uh defensive efficiency rating to ever actually even make a final four was vcu's 2011 and it was 98.3 so here's what i'm telling you uh dating back to 2002 which is as far back as the kimpom data goes uh no team with a defensive defensive efficiency rating of 99 or above, has ever even made the Final Four, much less made uh, won a national championship. So if UCLA doesn't improve drastically on the defensive end of the court uh, to get to a Final Four, they will um, have to do it in a way that's that's literally never been done, you know, in the past 15 years or whatever. Now the good news is they have a historically great offense. So none of these other teams that haven't been able to do it have been as good offensively as UCLA has been. Uh, but it is undeniable that uh, history is stacked against them um, as it as it relates specifically to the defensive efficiency rating. What do you make of all of that information? It's definitely worth uh, considering and knowing. And I believe that the 2015 Duke team entering has the was the worst uh, per possession defensive team to win a title. Yes. And in that year, uh, Duke. Uh, Definitely wasn't top twenty-five. They were they were below that, but I'm almost positive they were top fifty. I don't. Uh, what would Corey said it was ninety-eight, ninety-three point three. Ninety-three adjusted. 
which is by the way that's that's still pretty pretty good overall entering in um UCLA could have the offense to do this. And what was interesting is in watching the Bruins against Arizona, Lonzo Ball had a really good game, um, came out, played played tremendously, uh, hit some big shots. It was a very entertaining game. The atmosphere was tremendous. For Pauly Pavilion to get up like that uh, on a Saturday, you know what? UCLA should try and schedule its biggest games on weekends because the fact of the matter is that's when people will pack the place when it's a good team because, you know, a 6 o'clock local tip on a Tuesday – you're probably not going to have the building packed to the gills a tip because that's just that town. It's always been like that. Well, so to see... you know, people, and I'm going to interrupt, I, I interrupt yes, you. Sir. I'll let you continue. But, you know, people always sort of mock UCLA about, oh, you know, you can't get there on a weeknight. But, like, it really, like, you'd have to take off. If, you have, if you're a normal person yeah, with a normal job yeah. to get there for an early tip, you would have to take off work early. They're like, there's no getting, you can't get, it took me from LAX to, to, to Pauly. You know, like on just a normal, I want to say it was a Wednesday, just a normal Wednesday in L.A., but like it legit took me an hour to get there. And it's not that many miles. I mean, it's just it is difficult to get there on a weekday. Yeah, the struggle is real. And there, yeah, obviously, L.A. traffic is, is a beast unto itself. Uh, but for Polly to be rocking the way it was, was fantastic to see. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, like UCLA. And here's the thing that is still so impressive about the team is that the defense was problematic without a doubt. And yet it put up 85 as a team. It wasn't it, like Lonzo looked great. Um, Hamilton had some really nice moments. Uh, Bryce missed a few shots that I thought that would normally fall. And there was a little bit of that happening, but they put up 85 and it's really just not that hard for him. So that's, that is something that I still, put so much stock into UCLA because most most teams wouldn't have been able to do even though the defense was bad Arizona just had it all clicking and it was a it was a dream performance for them so in most instances especially especially against many teams they'll face in the first weekend of the tournament they aren't going to hit an Arizona type team and so and Arizona's really good they're they're really good and I know the game was on UCLA's home floor but they still put up 85 without much resistance. So I, I still have plenty of, of intrigue and confidence in UCLA. Well, and now at least we get an interesting race in the Pac-12 right. because UCLA is now two games behind. Oregon gave an update on Dylan Brooks. It is just a mere foot sprain. It's not serious. That is obviously good for the Ducks' final four hopes. So you're going to have a legit race between the three of these teams. When Brooks is going to return, that's not known but i gotta think it's within a week and a half at most a sprained foot maybe two weeks we don't know the severity oregon didn't give too much detail at all on that but he should be okay and because of that now arizona being at full strength hey some real interesting stuff uh formulating in the pac-12 who at full health will have three teams with realistic chances insights on getting to the final four i think all of that is true and the point you make about ucla um is a good point we focus so much on they allowed Arizona to shoot 50%. Arizona scored 96 points on them. Arizona beat them inside Poly, right? And all of that's true, and it should be focused on. But this is also true. Uh, UCLA put up 85 points on a top 15 defense. You know, Arizona's defensive efficiency rating ranks 11th in the country. And that's even after what UCLA did to them on Saturday. So that's the thing. Yeah, UCLA is going to give up points to basically anybody. To basically anybody, particularly a good team. By the time you get to Sweet 16, UCLA is going to be playing a good team, and 
that good team's going to be able to score on them. But UCLA can score on anybody as well. And they didn't shoot the ball well Saturday and still put up 85 points on Arizona. And if you're still trying to believe in it in UCLA, which I am, um, that's the way to do it. Okay, fine. Yeah, they're going to allow people to score at a rate unusual to, to that particular team. But they're going to score on that team in a way that that team probably hasn't been scored on all year. And so um, even yesterday, uh, Saturday, wasn't a good performance. They were still never really out of the game. You know, they, they, they and same thing at Oregon. I mean, obviously at Oregon, they, it was a buzzer beater, right? So um, they do have two losses, but they were never, they, they are so good offensively, you never quite got them put away because they can, they can come back on you, bang, bang, bang. It wasn't able to happen against uh, Arizona, uh, but that offense is special. And that's why I'm not um, closing the window on UCLA going to the Final Four or even winning a national championship, um, even though uh, teams with these types of defensive efficiency ratings don't don't typically do, don't ever do either of those things. Uh, it's because the offense is, is, uh, is historically great. Let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a, a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or for that concert that you want to attend, and none of the older ticket sites uh, seemed interested in changing that, but then SeatGeek came along, and SeatGeek is different. They've created an amazing app and a website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go when I'm looking for concert tickets or uh, tickets to games. Matt Norlander used it recently uh, as a uh, holiday present, and you should use it too. So here's what you want to do. Download the SeatGeek app. Purchase tickets to whatever you want to go to. And then use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, that promo code is COLLEGEBB. And the reason SeatGeek is, is so terrific is because they handle the price comparison for you. In other words, you don't have to go check this site, check that site, check that site. They do that for you. And then they're going to make sure uh, that you get the best possible deal available. SeatGeek does all the work for you. You save time and you save money. So go download that app now. Purchase tickets, then use the promo code COLLEGEBB. And SeatGeek, like I said, is going to send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. I think a lot of people were looking forward to watching Creighton on Saturday because it was going to be the first game that they play without Maurice Watson. Of course, he was uh, injured on MLK Day in the afternoon. A win at Xavier, torn ACL, college career done. And I think I was holding out hope because of the way they performed, you know, in that second half at Xavier, like they held on and won the game without Maurice Watson, that maybe they would, they would be able to get by. Not that they would be what they were, but that they could still get by. And maybe they will, but and this is true. Um, in the first game without Maurice Watson, they were at home and uh, they lost to an unranked Marquette team. Now Marquette, Marquette was terrific, shot the ball terrifically, but still, that's just, you know, I, I think I said on one of the early, last week's podcast, this is probably going to go down as an all-time what-if season for Creighton. Like, they'll be sitting around 20 years from now, Creighton fans, not to mention Mo, and saying, man, what if that never happened on that Monday afternoon? What could we have done? What could we have accomplished? And uh, I think that's more true now than it even was then, because like I said, um, they were rolling along at an in- incredibly high level, and now they've got a, a home loss to an unranked team. They're just—I know you—I know you wrote about this. They're just not the same, are they? 
They aren't. And listen, I know that Marquette going bonkers uh, from the field has some Creighton fans feeling like even if Mo was in the game, Creighton would have lost anyway. I, I do disagree with that. I did watch a lot of that game. And listen, uh, Creighton started off a little sluggish. It was able to come back. And offensively, a lot of it was working. And that's certainly a credit to the scheme and, and McDermott and all that. Um, but I can't help but feel that like Watson, such a such a mature guy on the floor like a real leader and i sometimes actually think that word gets thrown on way way too much in college basketball uh because when i see certain players and, and kind of you know get a feeling from coaches and, and interview guys like like watson was a legit composed really good leader and had grown into that role after transferring i thought they would have won if he was on the floor uh marquette they're not a bad team by any means uh they actually got a good shot here uh, Villanova, who will be your number one team again in the polls when they're released on Monday. Nova has to play at Marquette on Tuesday. And so the Big East will have a pretty good opportunity to allow itself to get another at-large candidate if Marquette can get that win. That would be huge for that program's chances. A loss there, and to me, they're still pretty distantly um, not in the at-large picture at this point. But if they win, then they have back-to-back -back victories against Creighton and Villanova and could certainly be well on their way with the Blue Jays. It's just, it's a rough way to start because specifically it is at home. Um, still a really good record, but now you got to go to Georgetown and Georgetown's not good this year, but you got to go to Georgetown, you know, after starting point guard here and that team is obviously desperate to get wins when it can. Um, and then you got to go to Butler next Tuesday, January 31st. So let's just see how this turns or maybe it doesn't on on Creighton overall but you know that was certainly a an outcome that that stood out to me and you know these things can change dramatically and, and Kentucky fans you know I know they were holding their breath and just in regard to point guards you know Darren Fox had a stinger right supposedly I mean Calipari said the, the the ankle wasn't swelling it was just a stinger they sat him although he was in a boot but when you watch the play I mean he's just making a move to the hoop and it's just a just twists just a little bit like that. And it's one of those where you're just like kind of, uh, you wince a little bit because it looks a little painful. But like if, if it's something worse than that, like if Kentucky loses De'Aaron Fox, they're not winning a national title. He's their most valuable and best all-around player this season. I know Monk is amazing at scoring. He's done terrifically, and he's probably going to get more votes when it comes to that kind of stuff. But everything they do relies on Fox. He's been awesome. Cannot praise this dude enough. I think, I think I'm higher on De'Aaron Fox than anyone in the country. I think he's that good. And so Kentucky dodges it. So it's... It's fortunate and good for college hoops, by the way, because we already lost two dudes for the season. OG's out for the season. I don't even th think that was out since we last talked, GP. Indiana got a huge win over Michigan State. But they don't get OG back the rest of the year. So that changes everything for the Hoosiers. And obviously Creighton loses Watson. We got lucky that Brooks shouldn't be gone too long. And Fox seems to be okay. But these injuries obviously can just totally alter the dynamic and projections on a season. And it wouldn't be fun for hoops either. I mean, you want to have the teams with final four hopes having their best players on the floor. So we, we already have two uh, that have lost it, but Fox should be okay. Um, and OG with Indiana, I mean, we won't have to hit on this too much, but that was, they had to beat Michigan state. So Indiana gets a, a good home win there, uh, but remains to be seen what's going to happen because they, they got what, what was done that needed to be done on offense, but his value is on defense. So it's still wait and see for a couple more games with the Hoosiers. Right. To circle back to Kentucky, they handled South Carolina on Saturday night uh, pretty easily, won by double digits. They're now 17-2 and overall, 7-0 and in the league, and that's over with. I mean, they're, na they're now projected to win the SEC at Ken Palm uh, by three games. In other words, uh, Ken Palm's got Kentucky going 17-1 and in the SEC, 
and South Carolina going 14 and four, Florida 12 and six. So they're projected to win that league uh, by three games. They are uh, running away with it. And, and like I said on a, a podcast last week, John Calipari has essentially turned the SEC at least in this year, but really over the over the past three years, he's turned it into Conference USA. He's done at Kentucky to the SEC what he did at Memphis to CUSA, and it's a a testament to the way he recruits, and then the way he you know takes those recruits and turns them into quality you know high level basketball teams. But it's also um, uh, you know a reflection of the rest of the league. You know, it, it's not as good as it ought to be. I mean, that's a Power Five league where every program has a bazillion dollars because of the SEC network. They've invested, they've made hires, and it's just not showing the results on the court, uh, court consistently. Not yet. Maybe next year will be the year. Uh, but this year, it's looking like Kentucky, massive gap, South Carolina and Florida, in whatever order you want to put them, doesn't matter to me. Um, and then will they get a fourth team in the NCAA tournament? I'm not sure. I mean, maybe Georgia could get there, but maybe Arkansas, and, Arkansas and Georgia, I think are going to be the two. But like Georgia got screwed. Well, so, that's I mean, the, that's, that's the that other thing. Th- that well, could honestly, like, listen, they got chances, GP, to make up for it, but they got screwed. That was a clock malfunction. Uh, the rule doesn't allow them. And if you want to get into it, we can't. I, just, I do. That's what brutal. I. That's it's an what... awful look for the league. It, it was not a good weekend for the league. Florida lost at home to Vanderbilt. Terrible. And then, you know, you're got to try and get as many teams in as you can. Georgia's a good quality team two really good players and they and they just got they got totally jobbed for people who didn't see it um go to cbssports.com you know uh, cal boone wrote about it there and and all of the video is there uh, but essentially here's what happens uh george is down by a point final seconds i think there's like five you know however many seconds left but the clock gets stuck at 5.6 and um you know george in the clock just gets stuck and so I think J.J. Frazier gets the ball to Yante Maiden, and Yante gets fouled. And so you look at the clock, and it says 5.6, and you're thinking Yante is about to go to the free throw line, shoot a couple free throws, make one, they're tied, make two, you're ahead. Well, what's very clear in the replay is that the clock just stopped, malfunctioned. It just gets paused on 5.6. And so the way the rule is written, and this is kind of crazy, although I don't know if there's a great way to do this, but this this sucks. Um because the way the rule's written is, if this happened, what happened? You you go to the replay, and you get a, a you know your own stopwatch, and you you run it. Yeah. And if if the foul in this case the foul occurs after what would have been an additional five point six seconds from the moment the clock got stuck at five point six, then the foul happens after the final horn, game over, which is what happened. But the explanation from Mark Fox and and JJ Frazier is that look like the, you know the kid does what what basketball players do, you know they're they're in the con uh, they're, you know they're they're in the process of making a play. You glance at the clock, you see it says five point six seconds. You think you've got time. If you if you see it says one second, you don't think you have time. So you get a shot up. But because he thought he had time, he gets a pass to Yante, and so. Um, I don't know whether this is true or false definitively because there's no way to know, but I, I believe it to be true more than I believe it to be false. Like At some point, you know, J.J. looked at the clock and saw 5.6 and said, okay, I, we have time. And so he makes a pass and it gets a foul and they think they're going to the free throw line. And I, I don't know how you handle this better. I, like somebody suggested you just, just run it again, you know, 
Like just, just okay, that sucks. Clock malfunction. Just run it again. And I actually think that might be better than just screwing yeah. a team. But like, th- to be clear, the SEC officials applied the rule properly, the way the rule is written. I just wonder if the rule should be written a different way because that is a awful way to lose a basketball game. I mean, but basically, it, this is yeah, this has got to be the situation. You know, it's got to be on the officials to. Keep the on the clock because one official should be doing that. And the second you see, it's discernible that if there is a clock, and of all the times, I mean, come on, of all the time for the freaking clock to, to just stall like that, and it happens then. If it happens, blow the whistle. You completely start the play over again. Set the clock where it was when you inbound the play and, and take it from there. That's got to be the way that you apply this. Even if this happens once every seven seasons, you got to have it in place because the fact of the matter is, you know, the players are going off some instinct. They're checking the clock. They're going. And it's not their fault that the clock malfunctions. And it shouldn't be up to them to then have some sort of internal body clock. Um, it's not the same thing as grabbing a ball with 1.1 to go. And, you know, it's like a dribble and shoot. You know, that's different. This is we're going to run some offense. We got six or seven seconds to get this play done, and now it's it's just gone. And so they're going through the motions, and it is what it is. And so they take a loss. And if Georgia, you know, just comes up shy, well, this could be the game. And they might not. They might not have won it. They might not have. But they were they were jobbed a chance of doing it. And so that's why I just thought that Saturday wasn't a good day for the SEC whatsoever. Because I know Dozier wasn't in for South Carolina, but Kentucky didn't have Fox most of that game, and. South Carolina was the number one rated defense in the country. Well, it didn't look like it at all playing at Kentucky. It was just further uh, establishment of that team's dominance over the league. Florida losing at home. The clock malfunction stuff. It's just uh, it hasn't been good for the league so far. Uh, You mentioned uh, Villanova Marquette. That's going to be Tuesday. And Marquette coming off a a big win uh, at Creighton. And now they get to host Villanova. That'll be the top-ranked team in the country uh, coming into Milwaukee. Just a massive game for that program. Huge game for for Wojo. Villanova, Marquette, who wins it? I'll say Villanova. Give me Nova by eight or so, Um, somewhat comfortably. Just Wildcats continue to look really, really good. Um, It would definitely make for some interesting uh, copy if Marquette can both get the win. And then if they do, it might start to maybe clear up some of the one-seed picture a little bit. if they don't, then Villanova is going to be at the forefront right there with Baylor, who, by the way, just, you know, picked up another road win. <laughs> you know, their their road neutral record, Baylor, right now um, is as good as anyone. And this is no offense to Mr. Lunardi, but he was like, yeah, I'm going to drop UCLA off the one line and probably put Baylor back on. Dude, Baylor should not have been off the one line from the start of the season. I don't get how that is remotely on the table. The Bears are their only challenger for the number one overall seed right now is Villanova. To me, those two teams have by far the best overall resumes. So if Nova gets the win at Marquette, I would probably say that it leaps ahead of Baylor. And if not, then the bears will have, uh, in my opinion, definitively the number one resume. And that includes, I know they lost to West Virginia and West Virginia has since, uh, you know, taken on a couple of L's there overall, but, uh, but yeah, give me Nova comfortably at Marquette. Do you want me to pick an upset special? Well, is that going to be an upset special? Because what do you think the line will be? Nova by two? Uh, Ken Palm's got it projected Nova by four. So usually okay. you can add a half a point or a point to the favorite there. So it'll probably be Nova by four or five. I would say, but I won't be surprised okay. at all. I don't know that. I, 
Why not? It's a podcast. Who cares? I'll, I'll pick Marquette <laughs> to win the game. Marquette your to win re- the Your entire reputation hinges on this. Marquette to win the game straight up. Straight up. Straight up. Marquette to, up. Marquette to win the game straight up. <laughs> and you mentioned, uh, okay, so we got that settled. Marquette's going to win that. We're going to have a new number one on Wednesday morning in the top 25. And what it looks like, um, the other big game that night is Kansas at West Virginia. And it is interesting, um, West Virginia was rolling. You know, they lost over the Temple and then whatever. And then they lost an overtime game to Texas Tech, whatever. But they had killed Baylor when Baylor was ranked number one. And then they handled Texas at Texas. But now they've lost at home to Oklahoma, which makes no sense. And then they lost at Kansas State, which makes some sense. More sense than losing at home to Oklahoma. But still, it's not a game West Virginia was supposed to lose. Um, and now they got Kansas coming into Morgantown. Uh, you concerned about West Virginia at all or whatever? It's the Big 12. Everybody's going to have bumps in the road. They'll be fine, and they'll knock out Kansas on Tuesday night. Give me give me West Virginia to beat Kansas. Um, I think that will be a really good game. Uh, but concerns, not yet. If they lose to Kansas, actually maybe a little bit, even though Kansas is – really good in my pick to win the title this year. Uh, another loss there, I guess depending on how it comes about, but give me the ears. Uh, I feel pretty confident uh, in that one. What about you? The only thing that would concern me if I were West Virginia would be that um, the type of team that can give you problems uh, with that press Virginia is a team that has multiple ball handlers. You know, as a team that you know, has has one guy who, if you trap him, he can throw it to another guy who can dribble. And Kansas clearly has that. But West Virginia is going to be favored in the game. So, like, if Kansas wins, even though Kansas is going to be ranked uh, presumably number two in the AP poll and number one. And in probably the, one in the coaches because they are number one in coaches right now. Right. And number one in the coaches poll, um, you know, Kansas is going to be an underdog Tuesday night at West Virginia. And so the way these top two teams playing on Tuesday night um, – the way it's supposed to go down is Villanova is supposed to win a close game at Marquette and Kansas is supposed to lose a game, close game uh, at West Virginia. But, uh, you know, both of them are, you know, they got real, real challenges on, on Tuesday night. So it should shape up to be a, uh, a great night of basketball because we, we could watch the number one team in both polls win. I mean, lose a game, which is, yeah. I bet that's rare. It's rare to ever have different teams number ranked number one in the coaches poll and the AP poll. Uh, but the idea that they'd both lose the number one team on the same night, like I wonder how many times, if ever, that's happened. And I'm not necessarily – well, I think I did. I think I did predict that it's going to happen. You did, actually. You, because, were, you were all in on that. Because you might remember, uh, I took Marquette straight up. And I'll take West Virginia because they're going to be favored. So how about that? Uh, okay. If if what I'm predicting comes true, which is unlikely because I am terrible at predicting things um, – uh, the the number one team in the AP poll and the number one team in the coaches poll would both lose on Tuesday night. I wonder if that's ever happened. Do you think? Can you look it up? I don't think it's ever happened because it doesn't happen that often when you have two different teams. Uh, has it ever happened? I can't say it hasn't. But am I, if I had to guess, I would say no. There is a game on Tuesday that I want to hit on real quick here. Mm-hmm. One, Kentucky plays at Tennessee. That's not. That's only interesting if Fox doesn't play, which right. I still think Kentucky would win. But if he doesn't play, Briscoe would assume would start a point guard. Just keep an eye on it. But Michigan State hosts Purdue. 
Michigan State is 12-8. and eight. I don't know how many more opportunities we'll have to talk about the Spartans on the podcast this year because right now they've got a win over Wichita State, which is solid. They have a win at Minnesota. They've swept Minnesota, and Minnesota's actually got a good record but has a lot to prove. Minnesota and TCU both had good teams on their home floors this weekend, Wisconsin and Baylor respectively, and would have had a really good chance to, to just land – Resume-defining victories, both let those opportunities slip. Um, so both those teams, in my opinion, still have work to do. But Michigan State, so they've swept Minnesota, but then you know they beat Northwestern, which is oddly turning into a good win. The Wildcats look like they're going to make the tournament. We'll save that for another podcast. But Michigan State, home opportunity. They've got to beat Purdue here. I, I think they will. If they don't, then, damn, if they don't beat Purdue, they're going to be 12-9, and nine, and I think I will be ready to proclaim that uh, – It'll be the first time, GP, when was the last time the Spartans didn't make the tournament? I mean, has, has it been like 18 years? It's been a long time. It's been a, it's been a long, long time. So if they don't win that, um, I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, on on Wednesday's podcast. But I did want to bring that to our listeners' attention because that game will happen before we talk again. Purdue is trying to keep a pace with Wisconsin for Big Ten champion Michigan State, which started 3-0 in the league, is now 4-3 and and just faces in urgent home game i'm guessing breslin will be rocking for that because uh the spartans will definitely definitely need that yeah tuesday night's gonna be great so uh we will watch all of the games on tuesday night then we will talk to you again on wednesday morning remember you can subscribe to the ion college basketball podcast on itunes that's the best way to get the the latest episodes as quickly as possible so please do that thank you all for listening shout out to Corey alford shout out to devin downey shout out to terry teagle Talk to you Wednesday. Till then, take care.